Welcome to The Eight, everyone. We are on part four of a series titled Elijah Rock. And to give a summary of where we've been so far to our second to last talk here of this series, I thought I would show you a, a ser series of pictures that summarize where we are in the narrative of Elijah's life. Again, this is a historical figure in the ninth century BC that, that, that really captured like what God wants to do through humanity. So I want to share the first picture. Let's go through. The year is 1250 BC. The children of Israel are on their high horse. They have just been released from slavery. Now they are released from bondage. Moses came to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And they're free. They're good to go. They're in the promised land flowing with milk and honey. Everything is smooth and hunky-dory. Everything is good. But then all of a sudden, different ideologies started to come in God's people. And all of a sudden, the king in the beginning was like, you know what? God is the way to truth. This is where life is. So let us become, uh, let us come and worship God. So let's go all into God. This was the ethic for the children of Israel in the beginning. But century, not century, generation after generation, there became a drift. There became relativity. And we can kind of relate this now in post-Christian America. Things like this became more common in the kingdom of Israel. Live your truth. Another one, top left. Trust in your truth. It will be the best decision you ever make. Another one, you're a po the patron saint of post-Christian America, Oprah Winfrey. Speaking your truth and the most powerful tool is the most powerful tool we all have. So speak your truth. Your truth, my truth, you do you, I do me. I talk about it a lot here because we need to be aware of where our country is and what society is. That everything is what works for you, works for you, works for me, works for me. This is what was happening. In, in the kingdom of Israel, if everyone doing, they choose what's best for them. Then all of a sudden, boom, you have Elijah coming into the, into the scene. By the way, this is uh, from those who have Amazon Prime and who have kids. There is something called Superbook. You know, you know what? So, there's, so Superbook, it's a really awesome uh, like video thing. Father Elisha, uh, one of my colleagues, I guess, <laughs> told me about this video. Uh, so we started watching it uh, at home. It's really good. So this is Elijah, uh, obviously. So he came and he said, enough is enough. He came to King Ahab. He came to his wife Jezebel and says, enough, no more. We're not like, like the, the, what, what you define as truth, this is relative. Like we need to go back to a constant. We need to go back to God, to, to align ourselves back up with God. And for you to open up, for you to be more receptive to God working in your life, I have to hit where it hurts. So there's not going to be rain for quite some time. So this has kind of really put the narrative of Elijah's life into to motion here. And one thing led to another, and he's, you know, he's on this journey. He spent some time in seclusion for him to be connected with God, for him to set himself apart, for him, for him to be aware of what God wants to do through him. And this is a reminder for us. We need to set ourselves up apart in order for God to work through us. And this is where and now Elijah is being thrown into the next phase of his story. And this is where we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 18. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. So now God is saying, okay, you've been obedient to me. We've been on this journey together. Now it's time for you to go back to, to King Ahab and present yourself to the king and, and tell him uh, that you will send rain. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah. Okay, so Ahab, bad, bad king, okay? He summoned Obadiah. 
his palace administrator. So now Obadiah, this is, this is who we're highlighting for today. He is now the palace administrator. So, so he's right next to the top dog, King Ahab. So he's up there, Obadiah. Actually, the author gives us a parenthesis to kind of give us uh, a description of who Obadiah is. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hid them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. So who is Obadiah? He is, you want to say, second in command. He's a palace administrator. He's working under King Ahab. King Ahab, no good, right? King Ahab is no good. But under him is Obadiah, who is a follower of God, who is a devout believer. But what did he do? He wanted to take some of God's prophets, some followers of God, and hide them before they were slaughtered by King Ahab. So what did he do? He hid them. He hid, he hid, um, he hid some of the prophets. So Obadiah was protecting some of God's followers to protect them. So, th so now we have an idea. Obadiah is a faithful man of God, but working for a horrible boss. Maybe some of you can relate. Some of you are nodding your head. You feel you're a faithful person of God, but maybe your boss is not the best, right? So here's Obadiah in the same situation. Ahab had said to Obadiah, hey, go through the land and to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. What is, what is King Ahab saying? He's saying, okay, hey, Obadiah, you go right, I'll go left. We need to find some land. I, I know we're in a serious drought, but we need to find some grass. We need to keep alive the few horses and mules we got left before we lose everything. Okay, so let's divide and conquer. You go find some land. Uh, you find some grass. We need to keep our, our, our cattle alive here before we literally lose everything. So they divided the land. They were to cover Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. You see his devotion to his job. You see Obadiah being so devoted to his career, being so faithful to the task at hand, even though he had a jerk boss, he was so still devoted to doing what is the task at hand. For so many of us, like, yeah, maybe not all of us have the best work environment or the best boss or the best coworkers, but even in those situations, do we ask ourselves, it's easy to check out, right? It's so easy to, you know, cut corners, come in late, leave early, and just kind of check out. But here's Obadiah being so faithful to his task at hand. He has been entrusted to be the palace administrator to a horrible king. And he's sitting there working for a jerk boss and his jerk wife, okay, Ahab and Jezebel. So here he is. He's still being faithful to his task at hand of doing what was he entrusted to do. So here he is. You can tell that he's up there. If Ahab is saying, hey, I'll go left, you go right, and let's find some place uh, to take care of our cattle. This is a pivotal virtue in which we need to have as being followers of Jesus is that whatever we do, whatever the task is at hand, cleaning the dishes, mowing the lawn, your career, whatever it is, do it wholeheartedly. Be faithful with what you have been entrusted with. Actually, St. Paul, a great missionary, wanted to make this clear to a city in Greece, and he told the Colossians this. If we fast forward now, uh, after the life of Jesus, St. Paul was telling early followers of Christ, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, if it's something you do, if you're prepared, if you're talking, if you're articulating what you're about to say to someone, you're dealing with a conflict, or you're doing an action, a service, whatever it is, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Know that whatever you're doing, you're doing it as a service. Don't classify this is a service and this is not. No, if you're doing the dishes, that's a service. If you are whatever, texting this person, that's a service. 
everything you do, know that you are an icon. You are a representation of the God, God Almighty. You are that. So whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly. Go all in to whatever you, the task is at hand. So we take this very serious as followers of Christ. Even in the Orthodox Church, even in liturgical worship, yes, there is tons of audible prayers. But there's also some inaudible prayers. And I want to share with you one sentence of an inaudible priest, uh, not inaudible prayer. The priest prays every Vespers and Matins. Those who have bowed their heads beneath your hand, exalt them in civic life and adorn them with virtues. Again, let me read again what the, what the priest is praying inaudibly for his church family. Those who have bowed their heads beneath your hand, exalt them in, civil, in civic life and adorn them with virtues. So the priest is saying, exalt them in civic life. Make, make them prosperous and whatever their task is at hand. If they're in between jobs or looking for a job, may, may, Lord, exalt them in their civic life for them to be faithful and persistent and going all in to whatever the task is at hand. So the church is praying for you for your civic life. But going back to the story of Mr. Obadiah. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down, reverence and honoring Elijah to the ground and said, is it really you, my, my Lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master Elijah's here. I love, like you can just hear the tone of Elijah, like he's like this Rambo, they like, drop in the mic type of like, go tell your master Elijah's here. And that's it. No, no small talk. How are you? How's the weather? How's the cat? No, nothing. Tell, tell your master Elijah's here. That's it. Boom. He drops it. Like, he just, he's, he's that type of superhero that's coming into the scene and telling Obadiah this. But Obadiah recognizes him as a man of God and does a prostration. He honors him, gives reverence to who he is as a man of God. What is Obadiah's response? What have I done wrong? Asked Obadiah. That you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. What is Obadiah's response? Here's the man of God telling Obadiah, go tell your king, go tell your, your boss, I'm here. And what is Obadiah's response? Not, yes, sir, I'll go do, no. What does he say? What have I done wrong? What have I done to deserve this? Because now if I go tell king, he's going to kill me, that I saw you, and you might run away. Like, what have I done to deserve this God? This was his immediate response. What have I done wrong? That you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. We move forward. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you are not there, he made them swear. This is Obadiah still speaking. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you are not there, he made them swear that, he that they could not find you. But now you tell me, Obadiah, to go to my master, Ahab, and say, Elijah's here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. He's, what is Obadiah saying? Listen, Elijah, I, I know you've been God knows where, but for the past couple years, past few years, like, King Ahab has been going to every kingdom, every part of, of the country looking for you. Like he's going nuts trying to find you because you created this whole drought thing. And now you want me to go tell him, you want me to go tell my boss that I found you? Man, if, if I do that and then you might disappear and you go MIA and then he's going to kill me, he's going to slaughter me because like he knows like I saw you and then I can't find you. So what have I done to deserve this? What have I done to deserve this? Now literally you're giving me a death sentence by wanting me to go tell the king that I found you. But I continues, if I go and tell King, uh, King Ahab, my boss, and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, 
have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord? Haven't you heard what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 15 each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah's here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Elijah's like, I don't got time for your excuses. I'm going to the king. What is Obadiah's mindset, his mentality? Something you and I relate to. God is pushing Obadiah to do something. And what is Obadiah's response? Come on. Like, I mean, I, 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 I do nice things. I helped out my neighbor. Like, I, did, I, gave that, I gave donation to that GoFundMe thing that time. Like, you know, I'm nice to my kids. I'm good to my wife. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I do good things. I've been good since, I, since I've been a young man. Like, I don't need to, like, but this, I'm going to get slaughtered. This is Obadiah's response. He's like, I, I've been good. Like, don't, 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 don't push me over the edge. Sometimes God is pushing you and me to take an uncomfortable step. And God is pushing Obadiah to do the same. But what is Obadiah's reflex? Excuses. I'm good. Man, I do enough. I pat myself on the back. I do a lot of good things. I don't need to go above and beyond what you're asking me to do. This is Obadiah's reflex. This is his response. This is what you and I do. When, so when maybe your spouse, maybe someone else says, hey, maybe you need to work on this or that. What is our natural response? I, I do good things. What are you talking about? I am a good husband. Wait, what do you mean? I, I, I don't need to go to this uh, marital retreat. I don't need to read this marriage. I'm good. Like, I do a lot of good things, right? I, I got her flowers the other day. Like, you, we think of the things that we're good at, but we don't want to look inside as far as our own weakness. But here's Obadiah going through his resume of how he's a good man of God. As opposed to him being receptive to hearing God pushing him toward the next step. We say a lot here at Samar Church that we want to be an uncomfortable church. We want to be comfortably uncomfortable. This is how God works within us. If we just settle for what's normal and I don't want anything to rock, maybe we're missing out on God wanting to work in us. Maybe we're missing that God wanting to make an impact in your life and on the next generation. But it requires us to say, I'm all in. Obadiah was clearly trustworthy with King Ahab, and he was the link between the man of God and darkness. Obadiah was the link between God's voice working in society. You and I are that link. You and I are Obadiah. You might be the link between that coworker, that family friend. You might be that link for them to just be a little bit more curious of who Jesus is to them. You might be that link. And I'm encouraging you, especially if this is your home church. If this is your first time here, first time watching this, ignore me. But if this is your home church, you have nothing to lose by inviting that coworker. I know, awkward, you know how to say it, and what do I say, and how do I describe my church? I, okay, I got you. But if God is pushing you to talk to your friend, to your coworker, and invite them, you don't know what impact that might make. You might be that link. But again, what are we saying? That's ah, okay. I mean, I'm nice to that person. I'm a good Christian to that person. I do a lot of good things for my church, so I don't need to invite that person. What if God is pushing you? What if God is giving you that little nudge as Elijah is giving that nudge to Obadiah? And what is Obadiah's response? He wants to give any other excuse as opposed to saying yes to God. We are that. Here, sorry. Let me. P. 
people that I talk to that are not part of the Christian worldview, they're going to be, um, they might have a perception of me personally already. But when you're talking to someone and you say, you know what, I, I, there's a lot of things I'm still trying to figure out. But I feel like I'm better at life. I feel like I have less regret. I feel like I make better life decisions when I align myself with Jesus. And that's why I intentionally make it a priority for me to spend personal time with God and for me to go every Sunday. That's why it's a priority. I feel like I make better life decisions. I feel I'm able to process and cope with trials and hardships a little bit better because I'm connecting myself with the sort of the fullness of life. If that was your response, how do you know what God is going to do with that friend, that coworker, that acquaintance? How do you know? I'm not in that position. You're, you have an advantage over me personally. I can't do that. I do that. Oh, here comes another like religious person asking for money. Whatever. They're going to come with, they're going to have a perception of me already. You have an advantage of them. You have no idea. Statistics show that 8 out of 10 people, if you ask them to come, they'll come at least once. 8 out of 10. Like this is just pure statistics, independent of, of, of a local parish or church. 8 out of 10 people are yearning to be part of a community that's bigger than themselves. That's not rooted on just like a hobby or a common interest. Eight out of 10 people would accept an invitation to come to the eight by you just saying, hey, I, you might ask a lot of good questions. I don't know the answer to, we'll get there. But I feel like I'm just better at life when I connect with the one who is the fullness of life. Boom, that's it. Keep it simple. Jesus was simple. And this is what made him so attractive to so many people. What if that was a response to invite someone to come to church? You have that advantage. Do not downplay your worth and significance. Do not downplay that. You feel like, well, I can't, I'm not really good with words, and like, you know, I feel a bit awkward, and I'm still trying to figure out why I really go to church myself, so I'm, I don't go that often anyway, and it's not like I pray that much anyway, so I can't invite. Who are you? Like, don't downplay your worth and significance. Here's Obadiah trying to downplay his worth and significance. He's trying to show his resume that he's a good, he's a good boy. He doesn't need to take this next step with God. He gives, try to give him an excuse. Do not downplay your worth and significance. If God loved to work through very simple people and, and, and highly uneducated people, if God likes to work through them, who are you? Thank you. Who are you? Who are we to say that? My question for you. How do you respond to your fears? How do you respond to your fears? Here's Obadiah being conflicted with a fear of him going to talk to his boss about his conversation with Elijah. How do you respond? Do you try to brush it under the rug, try to avoid it, try not to think about it? When you feel that nudge, you feel that prick of your conscience, and you try to avoid it, how do you respond to fear? Maybe you scroll away until you fall asleep. Maybe it's one video after another, so that way you can avoid the fear. Maybe you run away from that person, that thing, that issue. You run away from it. How do you respond to your fears? In the, in the, in the case of Obadiah, he justified good things he did to avoid that fear. Do not let fear hold you back. Believe me, we all go through. Fear actually by itself is a good thing. Fear is a good thing. It pushes us. But for some of us, it gets to a point where it debilitates us. We're unable to move forward. The anxiety just, it just, just locks us up. But fear within itself is a good nudge. Like emotions are good. Emotion, like 
if we want to reach optimal Christian health, we want to be emotionally healthy. So fear is part of that emotion. But what if that's a nudge of God asking you to do the next thing, to reach out to that person, to give more of yourself in whatever capacity? There is a little nudge. What is that thing holding you back in which God is pushing you to push past that fear? This, honestly, if you look at every person in, in, in the Bible, even in, in the first few centuries of Christian history, what made every man great and every woman great is they pushed through fear. They pushed through fear. Every single person, that's a common thread. What made someone go from ordinary to extraordinary is they pushed through fear. They saw the fear and they said, you got nothing on me. God is wanting to push me. God is, in push, is pushing me to push through it in order for him to do amazing things through me. This is what made every remarkable man, woman, husband, wife, person of God is that element alone. This, if you get nothing out of this talk, the talk, if you get anything out of this talk, here's what I want you to get at. The pathway to your greatest potential is often straight through your greatest fear. Again, the pathway to your greatest potential is often straight through your greatest fear. Your greatest potential. In theory, you and I agree on our theory. Like, I want to do this. Like, we can sit there and dream. But when it comes to embracing the fear, we don't want that. We want to try to find a way that we can go around it. The pathway to your greatest potential is often stri straight through your greatest fear. It's not the fear that defines you. It's not fear itself that defines you and me. But it is our response to the fear. You and I, like, if we had one-on-one, -on -one, I'll tell you what I'm scared of. And you tell me what you're scared of. But that doesn't define us. It's how we respond to the fear. And us responding to the nudge in which God might be giving you and me to push right through the fear. You do not feel, like, some people feel like, well, I don't feel, like, courageous, like, to take this. I don't feel this. You don't need to feel it. You do it. Like, you don't need to feel like courageous. No, sometimes you suck it up, you put your head down and say, I'm going to do it because I know this is for my edification. This is what's going to transfer me from going from ordinary to extraordinary. I, I know what I got to do. Maybe I'm not feeling the most courageous right now. I don't got to feel it. Moses, not the most articulate public speaker in the whole world, and he came to God with his weakness. God says, I got you. you you're coming with me with what you label as a weakness. Watch what I can do through your weakness. He pushed through his fear. Because God was giving me that nudge. You do not know what lies on the other side of you saying yes. Last week, we looked at a quote from St. Gregory. And he said these words. I'm, I'm just pulling a snippet from, from last week's talk. He said this in the year 380 AD. Let us recognize our dignity. Let us honor our archetype. Like we are a type of him. Like if we are a type, a reflection of the archetype. And he's saying, let us recognize our dignity. Do you recognize your own worth, your own value? Sometimes we push ourselves down. I don't have that much to offer, and it's kind of like, and I, because of my past, because of my struggles, and we push ourselves down. Who are you to say that? Let us recognize our dignity, and let us honor our archetype who has entrusted us. One example. One example of someone who transferred from ordinary to extraordinary. And this is a story that is close to our heart as us being St. Mark Church. St. Mark, historically, was one of the 72 apostles. He was a man from Libya, from North Africa. But through a series of events we talked about today at Liturgy, he ends up, being, he ends up bringing 
the news of Jesus and bringing the liberty and the, f the relationship of who Jesus is, the God-man, to the land of Egypt. So he ends up going to Egypt. But here he is trying to bring the beauty of Jesus to a foreign land, foreign country. He gets some of the subculture because it is still North Africa, so he can relate a little bit. But he's still having a hard time, you know, relating. Doesn't really know Coptic. So he's trying to figure out how do I, how do I connect with here at this people in Alexandria. So through taking an ordinary appointment day of his shoe breaking and him going to go see a shoemaker to fix his shoe. St. Mark, he broke his shoe, okay? So he's going to go see a cobbler. So someone to go fix his shoe. Through an ordinary conversation. And the, the guy who was fixing St. Mark's shoe, he like stubbed his thumb, like through a nail. And he said a comment of like, oh, God. He said something along those lines. And St. Mark said, wait, what did you say? Like, what, what, what? And the guy said, I said, God. And that sparked a conversation. Anybody know the name of that cobbler, that shoemaker? Uh, St. Inianus. Yeah, or Ananias Inianus. It is a better pronunciation. St. Inianus is his name. He ends up being the second patriarch of the Coptic Orthodox Church. How? Through ordinary conversation. And one thing led to another. He was receptive to God working within him. He didn't push himself down. He didn't say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just a shoemaker. No. He said yes to God. And here we are talking about him centuries later. You and I are in the exact same position. We, you and I are in the exact same positions as Obadiah. And we can totally relate to Obadiah. Justifying, giving an excuse of why he can say no to God. Hopefully we can relate to St. Indianus. How he said yes to God. He was receptive to, to God working through St. Mark. And that continued, and here we are, this beautiful continuity of the church till now, of our current patriarch, all because of ordinary people saying yes. They filtered, they processed their excuses of them saying, well, I'm good, I do X, Y, Z. We need to filter all that and then eventually get to the point of saying, you know what, excuses are done. I'm going to take this leap. I'm going to take this leap into the unknown. I'm going to embrace my fear because the pathway to my greatest potential is straight through my fear. For those who are in life group, questions for us to discuss this week. Even if you did not sign up for a life group, and I know you're going to do it next time, here are some questions I want us to think through this week. It is so difficult to grow toward God when those around us are difficult people themselves. Obadiah was a faithful Obadiah was faithful as a man of God, even though he worked for a horrible boss. What do you think equipped Obadiah to be a diligent worker for King Ahab, even with this burden? Like, what was Obadiah's, like, mindset for him to, like, still be submiss submissive and working for King Ahab, even though they had two different worldviews? Second question. Fear got the best of Obadiah when Elijah was pushing him to talk to King Ahab. How did Obadiah attempt to get away from the voice of God? Your third question. Where is fear holding you back? Like the intent of life group is not just for small talk and, you know, how's work. Yeah, all that's good. But eventually, we need to open up to each other to this question. Where is fear holding you back? You never know what lies on the other side of your fear. So I want us to embrace this question internally and open up to those in your life group. Where is fear holding you back? Just as we saw fear holding back Obadiah.
Sound good? Everyone awake? Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, so many things, like, freeze us of fear of, of what will be on the other side. We're scared of that conversation, of taking that step, of, of inviting that person. But Lord, we know that, that what, how you love to work is that you love to take us, push us, give us that nudge. And our response to saying yes, this is where we can find life in you. Lord, I pray that we cannot, I, I pray we do not become just passive followers of you, but that we're all in. That as we talked about last week, we can be all in like that widow. We can be all in like Obadiah. He embraced his fears, talked it out, but he went all in. Lord, I pray that, that our story, when it's all said and done, that we can look back and say that we said yes to you. And then we're able to see you doing amazing things through us purely because we said yes. Lord, I pray that we can process our fears, filter through it, and know that on the other side, this is where you want to do extraordinary things through us. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys. We'll wrap up the series next week with a special guest.